and welcome to this week's episode of the Book Host Squad podcast. I'm Shruti. I'm Sarah. And I'm Grace. Um, so in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about our group read for July, which is stamped by, or it's the stamped remix, sorry, by Jason Reynolds and Grace knows how to say the other guy's names, I'm sorry. Ibram X. Kendi. By the way, I am just guessing. I think it's an educated guess, but I don't you know. Have a good, that's it really sounds correct. If we are wrong, please tell us. We are happy to fix our pronunciations. Um, yeah, so we're excited to talk about um, this nonfiction book, which is a first for a couple of us to like actually get into because we haven't done that in a long time. Um, and that, But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been currently reading. Grace, would you like to go first? Sure. So I started three books this week, Ooh. not even including Stamped. But Stamped is the only one I finished. Obviously, we're talking about that later. And I'm going to talk about a couple of the other books, and then I'll save the rest for next week when I hopefully finish them. But this week, I started reading Most Likely, which is by Sarah Watson, who is the creator of The Bold Type on Reform. Not ABC Family, Freeform. I almost said ABC Family. Um, And I started it because I was at work and I was bored, and I needed to find something on Libby that would not require a bunch of attention, but was available immediately, and that one showed up, and I played myself, because I'm actually, like, kind of really invested in it. It's not, it's not, like, an outstanding book or anything, but it's good. It's about, there's four main characters. They're all girls. They're best friends. They're, they're, they're in their senior year of high school, and the book opens in, with, like, from some person's first person perspective and they are at the um what's it called when you become the president and it happens in january inauguration inauguration yes they are being inaugurated <laughs> as the president but you don't know which of the four girls it is so in the rest of the book is like about them in high school and it's like which girl becomes the president you don't know until the end i guess but it's fun. It's about female friendships, which are good. There's some romance in there. It's very like feministy. It's a good time. I'm quite enjoying it. Sounds it. good. Definitely. I it love is. the bold types. So I'll have to check it out. I did. I do think you would like it because you do love the bold type. It has yeah. like similar <laughs> vibes to it, even though it's like young adult and the bold type is not. Cool. But it's good. Yeah, I'll definitely look into it. And then I also started. The Lightning Thief by Rick Ooh. Riordan. Is that how you say it? Yes, it is. Okay. Or Riordan, I, Riordan. I've never known. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I read this when I was 11. We've talked about this before. Um, and I was like, I don't remember anything about it. I'm going to go have fun and reread it. I was like, this year I kind of wanted to either, I wanted to, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this year I wanted to reread Harry Potter and or the Percy Jackson series, but then J.K. Rowling turned out to be, like, a really bad piece of shit. So I was like, maybe I shouldn't reread Harry Potter. And I'm rereading this instead. And I thought I didn't remember anything about this book, but I'm listening to an audiobook, and I'm like, yeah, I remember all of this. But I don't think I remember anything that happens after. But it's been fun. I'm having a very good time. It's a good book. Stands up. Very solid, even now. And it is good. And I'm enjoying it. I'm so yeah. glad. I love the, the Percy Jackson series. I'm excited to find out what happens because I don't remember. 
<laughs> I think yeah. it'll be fun. <laughs> I yeah. still need to read that at some point. So, ooh, you should. I think you'd like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I will too. But I have so many other books to read right now that it's just a mess. Yeah. I hear you. Sarah, what have you been reading? Um, so I actually did read quite a bit this week, which is different from the last couple of weeks and I was kind of in a reading slump. But similar to you, I started a bunch of books, but the only one I finished was Stamped. So, but yeah, I read Stamped, and we'll talk more about that later on. And I also read more of Felix Ever After, which I talked about last week, and it's really good. And then I had two library holds come in at once, which was overwhelming, but it's good. I, the first hold that came in was The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James, which... Yeah, which Grace and Tiff had recommended to me because I said I was looking, and Tiff's our other friend, sorry, had recommended to me because I said I like ghost stories and I want like a spooky like haunted house vibes. And uh, so far this book is delivering. I'm only like maybe like 10, 15% in and the characterization is a little cheesy, which is my only issue with it so far. But like the haunted motel vibes are on point. So I'm enjoying that so far. And then I also got the audiobook for Uncanny Valley by Anna Weiner in, which is very interesting. It's about a woman who used to work, she worked in publishing until from like right out of college until she was 25. She worked at a literary agency and she just kind of got tired of being underpaid and, you know, being surrounded by that kind of culture. So she took a job at a tech startup. And it just kind of shows, it's about her transition from uh, working in publishing to working in Silicon Valley, because she does eventually end up moving to San Francisco, Silicon Valley at the peak of all like the tech startups and everything there. So it's definitely interesting as someone who also used to work in publishing, (laughs) um, just to hear about like the differences between the industry. I definitely like empathize a lot with, you know, what she went through trying to work in publishing and everything. Um, It is a little weird to read about because like I'm currently unemployed right now and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. So it's just like, it's kind of hard to hear about like all her career successes and I'm just seeing her like, oh, but it's definitely, (laughs) yeah, it's definitely an interesting listen though. And I definitely check it out if you're interested in like publishing or Silicon Valley career changes, all that kind of thing. And the audiobook's really good too. So if you're looking for like a nice audiobook listen. And the other good part is it's nonfiction, which is this will be like the second or third not that'll be the third nonfiction book I read this year so this is the second this week because stamped is nonfiction and third overall because I read untamed a couple months ago so you know I I've already surpassed my goals I'm pretty proud of myself there yay yeah so what about you Shirdi what has your reading week been like my reading week um so we'll go backwards I finished stamped which of course we'll talk about in a second um, kind of continuing on my train for the past couple months. Um, a couple months ago, I read a Penny Reed story um, called Beard Science. And so Penny Reed wrote a like sequel series um, about Cletus and Jen, and it's called Engagement and Espionage. And basically, like the whole series is about like Cletus likes to like look up mysteries and like solve things, and Jen is like a baker. So like it's fun. It's like a fun romance, and like they keep stuff keeps up coming up so they like can't get any alone time together and like he keeps trying to propose to her and like all those fun hijinks so it was a really good time I really enjoyed it I think I liked it more than the original because some of the original stuff that was going on in the original had some issues with weren't in this one 
and it got to resolve some storylines like with uh, Jen's parents and stuff like that. So I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, in the continuation of the Runaway series, um, which of course was that one by Devney Perry that's inspired by the Boxcard Children, um, Quarter Miles. This one's fun because it was Friends to Lovers and Road Trip at the same time. Um, and it even had, and of course, I was really worried for a while because there was a couple of hotel rooms like where they were staying and they're like getting separate rooms. I'm like, what is this madness? A road trip book where the people are not staying in the same room because there's only one room available. But then, you know, they figured it out by the last one that they're staying at where they have to be in the same room together. So. Oh, so it builds. It builds, right. The that makes sense. Yeah, because you're like, wait, this is dumb. Why, why aren't they staying in the same room? But then, you know, like eventually they get there. They get there. So that one was really fun. Um, I'm kind of worried about the second one. I don't think I'm going to like it as much, but the third, but the last one, the fifth one, I'm really excited for because we figured out who it's about and I'm excited. So yes. Then, um, as I had been talking about the past, like two weeks, I was reading the bachelors on the Ridge series by Carlos Sorensen. I finally finished Tristan, which was the last one on the series. I really, it was my least favorite of the series just because he was so broody and like, he's like pining after her, which is great. But, like, he was very passive about it, and it takes about 50% of the way through for him to actually, like, do anything. And I think that's what annoyed me. Um, but once he starts doing things, I kind of enjoyed it. enjoyed it. So that was good. But it took a while to get there. Mm. And then, the reason why I was going backwards. Um, so as you know, last week, I had read half of The Elite. I finished The Elite. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I finished the one. It's been a long week because I completely had forgotten this. I had read it this week. I but forgot yeah. that you were reading that. I too. did, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is how I feel about the elite and the one. They make the selection seem like a masterpiece because that's, that's basically what it is. Like everything I liked about, so I, I mean, obviously when we talked about it, what I liked about the selection, obviously there were so many issues with the world building, with the female characters and how they interacted with each other and all of that. But like, I really liked the Maxon and America romance. I thought it was super cute and it wasn't anything like super great or anything, but it was just at least, it was really cute and I was invested in it. And then they mm-hmm. completely ruin Maxon in the second and third books. More so the second book, but it continues into the third book. And I can't even, like, America has all her, I'm not going to say, like, America doesn't have her fault. She's super annoying in, in both the, in the books also. And, like, a lot of the time she's a hypocrite. And, of course, I don't even think this is a spoiler to say, like, the Aspen thing does not get resolved until literally, like, the second to last chapter. Um, and Of the, of the series? Of the series, yes. yes. No! Yes, <laughs> I mean, it's resolved, but it's not, like, fully resolved until that second. Like, obviously, the big dramatic blow-up is Maxon figuring out about Aspen and figuring out, right. oh, Aspen's in the guy. So they don't figure that out until the very end. And all of this could have been, of course, avoided if she just talked to him the moment she realized, hey, I really love Maxon and he's the one I like. But, of course, that doesn't happen. Which, so, like, that is my biggest fault with America. Maxon, however, like, the entire time, I'm like, this is, like, a little bitch. He keeps, like, whining and I don't, like, I could not, listen. So I understand she, Kira Cass was like, I'm going to make it so that you can empathize with him by giving him an abusive background, by saying his dad is really like hits him and all of that. And I completely empathize with that. And I completely understand like you can't expect abuse victims to act how you want them to. However, this is fiction. And in fiction, when you try to redeem, when you try to give a character an abusive back- background, and but then they go out and lash out and do stupid things that does that's not an excuse that's just their reactions but then you still have yeah. to deal with those stupid things and maxon was being so stupid there were so many times where i was like wait a minute he's falling in love with another woman first of all 
if you're giving me a romance novel and you're trying to tell me that this is like an epic romance, you can't have him falling in love with another person. Like, you can't do that to me. I'm not going to believe you. And it's different than like something, like the only thing I can think of right now off the top of my head is Twilight, where like, I think it's still believable that she could be in love with two people. Like, it's, it's believable for, for her to be in love with two people because we are in her perspective, so we understand. But when we are in America's perspective and we're seeing Max in love two different people, it's like, this seems dumb. And of course, it's all hypocritical because, you know, she's also in love with Aspen and all of that. But it's just like, you're so mad at Maxon because the way he handles it is just really bad. He's like, what was me? This is the situation I'm in. I have to be in love with two women because what if you don't love me back? It's like, well, that's dumb. I don't know. So mad. And then, of course, you know, he's making out with Celeste in the middle of uh, the hallway in like the middle of the hallways and stuff like that. And then I haven't even gotten to the really ending, but I'm going to let Sarah go first before I talk about the last chapter. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I completely agree with you. I always felt like, I don't, like, I don't remember much about these books, mm-hmm. but I remember Maxim was being, like, so hypocritical because yes. he's, like, you can't be in love with more than one person, but he's dating, like, four other girls, Correct. so, like. And it's not even, mm-hmm. like, oh, I have to go through this process. I actually need to see it through. I really need to date everybody. Like, that I could yeah. understand. And it's, like, different than, like, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, mm-hmm. I think, because, in that you're seeing it and you kind of understand that hey they're still his favorites and stuff like that but I think seeing it from America's point of view just makes it all so much worse because mm-hmm. you can see how much she actually really does love him and he's sitting there like oh no I'm also in love with this other girl I don't know it was just like the way it was written just really infuriated me yeah I agree and I think that's part of why the series is so like widely hate like it's weird to say it's widely hated because it's so mm-hmm. popular but I think everyone acknowledges that it's like bad like I don't right I don't know anyone who's like this is a good series everyone and I think <laughs> the people who like it right. know that it's like trash. trash it's like a trash right. babe and I think the other thing is Kira Cass had signed on she probably signed on for a trilogy with the publisher so she was like oh I need to stretch this out for three mm-hmm. books when it could have easily I've always said this yes. it could have been one book a single Correct. book mm-hmm. <laughs> and like some of the other stuff like the Aspen Lucy thing like you saw that coming and you're like America why are you so dumb Mm -hmm. and I'm just I don't know like all of it seems really dumb to me because the only thing I liked about this election really and we talked about this was the romance like everything else there was so many issues with that it was like I'm reading this because the romance at least makes me happy and that's why I'm invested but then they ruined the romance so I was really mad and really irritated go ahead I was just gonna say I did wait have you started the spinoff books yet are you planning on reading them no okay I will read them eventually but not right now I need the next like okay yeah the next like 30 seconds I'm gonna it's not like major spoilers for you the spinoff spoil anyone fine. who's listening okay yeah well so the the spinoff basically everything that happens takes place in the first book there are two books of the spinoff and everything takes place in the first book the second book is literally it's maybe like 250 pages and it's just everything just like slapped together it was horrible and the the first book like so much happens in it there's a lot going on and then in the second book it's just like let's like just wrap all this up in one let's just slap everything together and it's just it's not it's not any better (laughs) yeah that's why I was looking through reviews I mean after I finished the one I was like I I need a break I don't think I can do this the do all the sequel right now maybe one day I'll go back to it but I couldn't do it especially because the ending left me with such a sour taste in my mouth um major spoils like spoilers right now so if you actually care about the spoilers for the one go away for like (laughs) a couple minutes here um but literally so like he's about to make his decision and like this is right after he found about aspen so he's being a little bitch and he's like oh i'm gonna pick this other woman because i'm not gonna listen to you have a conversation with me and like actually communicate so i'm gonna pick the other woman and not you and then of course that's when the rebels attack 
which by the way, still never got resolved, but whatever. Um, really? It no. doesn't end the, in the spinoff either. Literally nothing. Like there's what some the resolution. There's like some resolution. There's some progress made in it, but like in the end, there's a rebel attack and then no one ever talks about it ever again. Which yeah, like the big climactic moment is there's this rebel attack, right? They sneak in, dress as guards, and they kill people. And I think the problem, the pit, the part that I got so mad was the the moment America realizes something is going wrong. It's because the guard goes and shoots Celeste in the head. Celeste, who in the very beginning we were supposed to hate because she was uh, characterized as this experienced woman who, and like basically all the slut shamey characterization. And then actually slowly you got to see like, oh, hey, this is a, some, she's just an ambition. And then like Kiara Cass kind of redeemed herself a little bit was like, hey, this woman, she's just trying, she doesn't like Maxin, but she still likes attention. She just wants to, this is just who she is. She's ambitious. That's okay. And America and her like bond and become friends and all of that. But then she still had to go and kill her at the end. Like she gets literally shot in the head. Yes. Damn. And that's, like, when everything goes to hell and Maxon eventually, like, gets shot and he's like, oh, I really love you, America. Forgive me for being a little bitch. And America's like, of course, because I don't want you to die. You know, typical, typical things. But I was just so mad. Like, the one character who actually had depth and was, like, actually had real character growth and you're going to have her get shot in the head for shock value. So that pissed me off. Yeah, it's not a good series. No. (laughs) Like, I can't believe, I think this is what I think annoyed me the most, was, like, when I went into the selection, I was, like, okay, I know this is not great, and we finished it, and I was, like, you know what, this is a little bit better than I expected, but, like, I'm, I'm at least invested enough to keep going, and even after, I will say, even after the Elite, even though I was so mad, I was, like, okay, I'm so far in at this point, I need to finish it, I was just so mad because it just did, like, a whole, like, 180 on me. And it was, this is like the elite and the one were what I expected the selection to be. And I think if it had been that way, I wouldn't have kept going. But the selection was actually like decent. So it made me mad. Anyway. It stole everything. Because it stole everything from the Hunger Games. Yeah. It couldn't have come up with any of that on its own. That's actually super valid. Yeah. Anyway, one last thing and then we'll stop talking about the selection. (laughs) But um, in the the sequel series, yeah, they didn't even solve the rebel things. I think like in the spinoff, they had they like started dissolving the caste system and it had been like like 15 years at that point. They only like just started, if I remember correctly. I don't know. It's just it's dumb. It's bad. Also, in the epilogue, she's pregnant, right? And that's obviously going to be her her daughter. And so she's like 18 and pregnant. <laughs> no, it's someone else's daughter, Trudy. No, no, that's not my point. My point is that she's like only 16 or 17, like at the beginning of this novel. So she's like married and pregnant at 18. I yeah. think we should just acknowledge that she's married and pregnant at 18. Which, as someone who is almost a whole decade older than her, terrifies, terrifies me. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with being married and pregnant at 18. But if I you're American. I would argue that there is something wrong with being married and pregnant at 18 because oh. you are not a fully developed adult at that point. I guess well, that's true. <laughs> but. Tread cautiously, kids. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Use condoms. Practice <laughs> that too. Sex, people. Yes. All right. <laughs> anyway, so this week we read Stamped, um, which is, well, Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Um, basically, um, as kind of a background, originally Ibram X. Kendi wrote, um, an, wrote a book called Stamped, and his was much longer. It's like 500 pages. It's much more de- uh, dense, and it goes through the chronologically the history of 
um, America and how racism and black Americans have been, how all of that has shaken out throughout the years. My friend actually ordered the book because she realized she was, we, we told them we were doing this, uh, we were doing this book for this episode. And she's like, oh, I'm going to read the original version. I was like, okay, you do that. And then she started, she started reading it. She's like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. So I was really happy that we picked the remix version because it is the mm-hmm. young, it, Jason Reynolds basically took it and he's a wonderful writer and he made it more accessible. And I think more specifically, he did make it more accessible for young adults. Um, and right. I, I think mm-hmm. this is a really good camp- companion to US, learning US history. So kind yeah. of the way this is structured is it basically goes through different eras of America. Uh, U.S. history. It also, it starts a little bit with European history, just to talk about, you know, how that all that started, the slave trade started, and then- Which is how through. American history starts, too. Right, exactly. Because starts in Europe. Exactly. And then it slowly goes through um, up till about present day. I think it goes through, basically through Obama's presidency. Um, yes. And I don't know how you guys want to do this, if you want to talk about, like, each era, and then we can move, like, go chronologically, kind of like how the book does. Um, Sure. Well, Um, we can give our initial thoughts first, though. Yeah, I just wanted to say before we start, um, Mm -hmm. Jason, like, I was really, overall, I was really impressed with this book. I love Jason Reynolds as a writer, and I can, I've known of him for a while. I read All American Boys um, because it was, like, a group, it was, like, our school, my college had, like, group picks, like, a one campus, one community, kind. I don't know. That was our, (laughs) that was our book a couple years ago, and I read that. I loved it. And he came to talk at our school, but I could, I had to miss it because I had to work and I was so upset, but I've always admired just like how passionate he is about writing for young people. And just uh, like I've read up on him before and just in the, and it really showed through in this book because he didn't talk down to the reader. He didn't, you know, mm-hmm. like he definitely made everything more digestible, but it wasn't in like a condescending way or anything. It was like he wants, he was, a, he was very interested in like sharing this knowledge with young people, especially. And um, he even had like in the author's note at the book, there was a section um, dedicated to like young readers and everything mm-hmm. and like how to go forward and things like that. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I love yeah. Jason Reynolds. He is amazing. And I love the way he writes for young people, especially. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, get, it gets a little, getting a little ahead of ourselves. But in the acknowledgments, yes. <laughs> he has, like, that whole thing, like, this whole thing about how this is, like, dedicated to young people. And he's mm-hmm. basically like, y'all are the future. Like, you need to yeah. know this stuff. And that's why I'm telling you about it. And I really enjoyed that, too. Yes. Yeah. And I think overall, this, what I, well, one of the, like, content things I appreciated was how many times you, it, I, I, at a certain point, he realizes that, hey, these themes and things I'm saying may sound very repetitive, but that's the point. And I think that's what he did so well was like highlighting those using the using terms in the correct ways and like fully defining them for you. So that way, when they kept popping up over and over again, you were able to craft like this full narrative and fully understand what was going on. Um, right. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. And I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And it was another thing I thought was cool. I've never read a history book before. And like, he kept saying it's not a history book, but this was, it was a good like way to kind of dip your toes, even though we're, we're like slightly older than the target audience, although we're still like young people, I guess. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, But uh, he, uh, he, it was like a good, like dipping your toes in the water of history. And the other thing he did throughout the book that I liked was whenever he would reference someone from like a chapter or two ago, he would put in parentheses, like who they are, 
what and stuff like a little like a brief thing like the guy who did this because I don't I'm bad at remembering names so I always right. appreciate it when he did that because I'd be like oh that guy again um so let's start with part so obviously there is a um introduction and dedication um but let's start with section one which is 1415 to 1728 so that's like mostly European history colonization um and started and like a little bit before the revolutionary war um any like thoughts or things that you guys really noticed from this section that you want to talk about? I just want to say that there's a lot of stuff that I did not know. Yeah, me too. Which, I, which yeah. didn't surprise me necessarily because like it's not like I'm like a historian or anything. But there was some stuff where I was like, I feel like I should have known this, but I don't. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, I which we will that, get into. I felt more that way, I think, towards the end when it got to more modern times and less so in the beginning. But I definitely agree that there were things where I was like, huh, I think I feel yeah. like I should have known that, but I didn't. Well, especially I found a note. Um, he There's like this part where he's like, here are what these important people from history had to say about race or about African people. And I highlighted the John Locke one because I like I knew who that is, but I didn't like I've never heard. No one never told me what he thought about black people. Like no one same ever thought with, to teach me that. Yeah, same with Aristotle. Yeah, like, you know we're taught yeah. all about these people in school, but they you know they failed to. Which you know I went to I went like I have like public school like history education, so it's not mm -hmm. like I like went to college yeah. for history or anything. But it's like we learned about like we learned about these people, but we weren't given the full picture exactly of mm -hmm. who they were. Um, yeah. One of the quotes I had highlighted, in, like in I think the first section, um, there will come a time when Americans will realize that the only thing wrong with black people is that they think something is wrong with black people. And I think that was like a really good thesis statement for the rest of the novel, because yeah. a lot of it is talking yeah. about how in the beginning, it was really just about people either writing, was actually really about writing. People were writing all their theories down and like math and spreading it and later it became movies and music. Um, and that's the perception is really what becomes people's reality. And I thought that was a really good part. Yeah, definitely. And how we introduced in the beginning who like that there were abolitionists, assimilationists mm -hmm. and segregationists. Yeah. Yes. That was helpful for like a distinction as well. Um, and then, so I really liked when they started talking about, um, who was this? When he was talking about, well, they're talking about like Bacon's Rebellion and like how there are these poor white people who were trying to rebel because they were like, why are the elite getting all this stuff? And he, um, basically the governor of Virginia at the time was like, so he had to devise a way to turn poor whites and poor blacks against each other so that they'll be forever separate, separated and unwilling to join hands and raise fists against the elite. And I thought that was like so powerful because and he even keeps going to say, he's like, and this, the way he did this was by creating, wait for it, white privileges. Because basically saying that, hey, even though you are poor, you're white. So therefore you're still better than being black. And I thought that was just such like a powerful part because like, we're still dealing with that now and how mm -hmm. white Amer white poor Americans are being turned against poor blacks because mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, but I am suffering also. And they are, but it's just in different ways. And it's, so it's feeling like, Oh, my issues are just as important. Why can't you figure it out yourself? Kind of thing. Um, yeah. That was really interesting. That's why I feel like a lot of times people try to say that Democrats and liberals are like not, 
don't have a lot of money and then Republicans are all like rich white people. Mm-hmm. But all the Republicans I know are really poor. Yeah. And I think that what you just said is has something to do with that. I do. I think not that, why they're poor, but like why they're why you're right. I think that like a lot of people who are, I think a lot of, and it, I mean, there's been all kinds of breakdowns and like who votes for who and all these things, but a lot of the people tend, who tend to vote Republican or tend to have racist views, whether they believe it or not, tend to be uneducated and white because mm-hmm. they're uneducated. They don't understand what's going on. Now, I think there are also some educated white people who are clearly, obviously, also racist, but I think for a lot of the, poor people who are white they're also uneducated so it like compounds all the issues yeah and also even just like yeah I definitely think that plays into it too because even just like reading a book like this where you can see like the full context and history of what's been going on and what's still going on it kind of gives you a better picture of like you know not like what what what's been going on this whole time around us like right under your nose whether you've been acknowledging it or not you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um a couple quick things i wanted to mention about this part were i loved all the exploration of thomas jefferson because i've always found him mm-hmm. really fascinating so i really liked how he defined him basically as the the modern world i have black friends like that's yeah kind of who I he is. That yeah too. yeah and mm-hmm. I've always found it really fascinating because, so for those who don't know, I went to UVA and Thomas Jefferson is the founder and there's really weird culture and we talk, and it talks about Charlottesville a lot, about this very weird culture surrounding Thomas Jefferson because part of it is like we appreciate that he founded our school, we appreciate Declaration of Independence and everything, but then there's like the fact of the matter was, you know, he owned slaves and he was a slave master and yeah, sure, he grew up around Black people, but he never freed them. He never, you know, it was just so it's really interesting that cognitive dissonance and I really appreciated how that was explained in this novel like how Mm -hmm. basically it came down to well he didn't want to lose his money and I thought that was really really important because that's kind of what we're at right now still yeah and how he would call the enslaved people his friends when they were most definitely not and how he would like go and argue against slavery and then like ask the enslaved people to like work harder on his plantation was you know wild yeah and then again back to the things where it's like i didn't know this i mean i knew that he was he had a bunch of slaves and he was racist but i like no one mentioned it in school like they were like he wrote the declaration he did a lot of good stuff actually it's not until i went and saw the internet then i was like oh you know it was also bad they just don't they just don't tell you yeah exactly and i think also um New, okay, so this is talking about there was they talk about one black woman who like ends up going wants to go to Harvard and everything because she gets educated and they're like oh this is a showing that black people if they got white education could actually do good things but and it was like she wasn't actually so basically they were saying like you know slavery makes you dumb but really it was like that she was intelligent because she had the opportunity to learn and wasn't tortured every day of her life and when people who are tortured every day of their lives and do not have the opportunity to go to school still found ways to think and create also still found ways to be home and in their own way. Yeah. And I think that so applies to today because there's so many black students who do not have good schools, do not have good education. And yet they are still able to overcome all of that because they're just, that's who they are. They're just awesome like that. But also even this basically what it comes down to is the ceiling has risen for some of them. And I think we get to that. I'll, I'll talk about that more later, but then, but the floor hasn't changed at all either. And that's the mm. problem. Right now. 
because like we have had a black president that's awesome the ceiling that ceiling i guess has risen for them but the floor is so down low and that has not changed because they're not able to get a quality education yeah did you come up with that metaphor on your own yes i did that was pretty good trudy okay. yeah <laughs> you want to know what note i wrote <laughs> it goes that he wrote while all this was going on jefferson was in france chilling and i wrote music emoji <laughs> what did i miss <laughs> i mean yeah and then um and i think one of the most powerful moments of this part of the part two was really um and like before the uh, civil war was where he talks about the assimilationist and um you were talking and then grace up uh, uplift persuasion which i think was something you talked about that you wanted to talk about sure uplift persuasion according to jason reynolds is Racist because it says that black people can't be accepted as themselves. They have to fit into some kind of white mold to deserve their freedom. Yeah, and I, and I think we really liked how it comes up over and over again, because obviously that's something that a lot of different activists will bring up. Um, and mm -hmm. I really liked this one section that he had where he says um, that it's important that you keep this in mind because it would become the cornerstone of assimilationist thought which basically said, make yourself small, make yourself unthreatening, make yourself the same, make yourself safe, make yourself quiet to make white people comfortable with your existence. And I think that really summarizes kind of where we are right now as a society of black people just need to be more like white people right now, just so that they're not mad. Um, and then, okay, so then we get into kind of the Civil War stuff and we get into Grace's favorite person, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what, so before we get into that, there was just one thing I wanted, one quote I had made was, um, because if labor were free, what exactly were poor white people expected to do to make money? And that's really just the same argument we've been using now for immigrants. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln. Um, there was a part where he starts basically talking about like how this Confederacy and the Union are now like rival gangs and what do gangs do when they feel their turf is threatened? They fight. And then it was says, welcome to the Civil War. And that immediately made me think of Hamilton. Um, and that like, welcome to, I don't remember what, what's the line that, where they say. Welcome, welcome folks to the Adams administration. Yeah, there we go. Something like that. It was the Adams administration. And I was like, I can now imagine someone, someone out there in the universe is going to write an Abraham Lincoln musical or some like side character where Abraham Lincoln is like the George Washington and his assassination is the end of act one. Like that. I. I, so when Hamilton came on my radar was 2016 and I didn't listen to it for like another year, but during 2016, I was taking a, at my school, we had, um, this thing called Jan term, which is where you take one class for the entirety of January and you go every day. Your class is like from like nine to like three. I don't know. It's, it's long. And you just have that class for a whole month. And in January, I took an Abraham Lincoln class. This is my freshman year. And this, and like the whole time I was like, why isn't there an Abraham Lincoln musical? Why does <laughs> Hamilton get a musical, but Abraham Lincoln doesn't have one? And I, I would love, I would love an Abraham Lincoln musical. I would be very happy about him. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting, but I really do think it would have to go. I feel like the first act needs to be like the Civil War, but the second act would have to be Reconstruction to like really make it powerful. I don't know who that would be about though, but. I think that would be interesting. Like Abraham Lincoln is like the main character for uh, of the first act, but who would be that main character for the second act? Because it's not could be Ulysses. Could be Ulysses S. Grant. Maybe. Um, 
and I really did think that, that I learned a lot about Lincoln and I, maybe this is stuff that you learned in your class, Grace, but like I learned a lot from this stuff because he was talking about like, you know, he's labeled as this great emancipator, but really black people were emancipating themselves. And yeah. he was just kind of yeah. using this like for political gain and eventually because of how society was working out, that's the, like, that's how, you know, things worked out. Yeah, like, he's very much idolized, but he really just found a way to play things in his favor. Right. Yeah, he did, so, while he was president, slash alive, he did the Emancipation Proclamation, Mm -hmm. but that only freed, I can't remember specifically what it did, but it didn't, it didn't really emancipate anybody. I think it only emancipated people who were technically already emancipated. Right. Or something like that. So, and then the 15th Amendment, uh, the 15th Amendment he did put into, he started it, but he died before it even happened. So right. he didn't really have much to do with that either. And I think there's one line here I wanted to bring up again, because it's going to become relevant later on over and over and over again. But um, the 15th Amendment was a big deal. But here's the thing with is it? Is it the 15th? Did is I say it, that right? The 13th was the one that uh, abolished slavery. 15th is the one that gave them... Um, equal voting rights or okay i meant right, the 13th but, sorry uh, okay but i mean even the 13th amendment like obviously there are issues with that one and then the 15th yeah. amendment was a big deal but here's the thing about big deals if people aren't careful they can be tricked into believing a big deal is a done deal um and i thought that that's a good really, one because that's the thing is like every time they have like one moment like one like step forward there's like 15 billion steps back because white people are bad <laughs> mm-hmm. well it it ties into today, too, because um, all of the protests that were happening mm-hmm. were sort of kicked off because of George Floyd's death. But And then when um, the officers got fired and they were like, they're going to trial and they're going to be charged with murder, everyone was like, okay, we can stop protesting now. Or not, like, the white people. Right. The white people were like, why are they still protesting? So I felt like that was yeah. kind of the same thing. Um, and I think that takes us into section four, which is 1868 to 1963. So basically reconstruction through the civil rights movement. Um, I found some of this stuff really, really fascinating because this is, I think, where we start to get into things that I had never learned before. Um, for instance, this whole Tarzan thing. Like I knew, yes. like, I think part of me always knew like there was something wrong with it, but I didn't realize like, oh, it was a backlash to some of this anti-racism coming in that people were like, no, let's put in this instead. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, so then we start, then we really get into Du Bois and uh, Booker T. Washington. And I thought this was a really wonderful way of framing it because we get these two different perspectives that are also not quite there yet, which I thought was really good. And I really appreciated like calling out Black people for not fully getting there that yet either um for and calling out for their racist ideas um and I actually wait hold on I had a quote um that I wanted to read that I thought was really applicable to now again um he found fault Du Bois an educated man found fault in black rage and found justification in the white response to the black rage because black people were were breaking the law by wanting white people to stop breaking the law they were wrong for wanting to live and like we just mentioned that's basically what's happening right now and that these black, black people are just trying to they just want to like be able to survive and like live happily and white people are mad that they want that um what did you guys think about some of the stuff about the athletes and the entertainers and stuff like that that part was fascinating to read about because some of it i do remember learning about in history class but it was 
really interesting to get a refresher on it and uh, just see, just get learn more about it than I did and just see them all like lined up next to each other and everything. What, what part is this? Um, I think um, this is like near the Tarzan part also. And I think, with, yeah, and how like basically um, athletes and entertainers could be spun into the, uh, like they became like these, like naturally they were aggressive. So now they're channeling it into sports and entertainment. Um, kind of oh. And I think it's really interesting thinking about sports today because so many, particularly more so like the NFL and the NBA, like basketball and football than other sports, but they're predominantly black athletes. But if you look at like the general management and the owners of the teams, they're predominantly white. And I think that's just like a really interesting thing to look at as well as like the ones who are actually providing us the entertainment may be black, but we don't trust them enough to actually like own teams and like do be mm -hmm. a general manager and like get players and stuff like that. So that's my sp uh, sports thing for the day, I guess. Thank yeah, you. I know nothing about sports. So <laughs> no, thank you me neither. For, uh... <laughs> Um, let's see. Yeah, and the other one, there was like Tarzan, Planet of the Apes, the Cosby mm -hmm. show yes! that were basically yes! like weaponized against uh, black people in America, exactly. which like people act like Planet of the Apes is just like a classic movie, but they never want to talk about the undertones behind it and why it was intended that way. Like there was recently just like a re-release for it for like mm -hmm. the 50th anniversary yeah. or whatever. And it's, it's like, n like, is no one gonna, gonna does no one see this? I, well, like, I, I had no idea. I mean, I've never seen any mm -hmm. of them, mm -hmm. but I literally was like, oh my God. Like I had no idea that that had racist content. Yeah, I had it. A, yeah, yeah, that I was my thing. Cause I, I mean, I knew about it just because I'd read about it before, but I haven't, I, no one else like talks about it. I don't know. Like yeah. they're always hailed as like these classic movies, but it's, they're, they were, they were a weapon. It was, mm -hmm. you know. And I think it's really fascinating. Like, I have no idea. I'd never heard of Jack Johnson before reading this. But, of mm -hmm. course, I've heard of Tarzan, which I thought was yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they – Rocky is the same way. Yeah. I wonder what – I wonder if King Kong mm. – is that a reach? Or do we think that that could be – I that think that that's that not mentioned in this Kong. book. I, I was not mentioned – yeah, I wasn't mentioned in this one. But I do think it's something similar with, like, a white savior kind of thing going on there. Yeah. Um, I've never seen King Kong. I've also never seen Rocky, which everyone's always shocked at because I'm from oh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone always does like the Rocky run up the steps and stuff. But it's, it's just another thing where it's like, why are you why are you still hailing this as like this great classic movie when it's yeah, it has such horrible like things behind it. Exactly. Well, I wonder if so. I have never seen Rocky. I've never seen King Kong. I have seen Kong Skull Island, which came out in 2017, <laughs> and it's a very good movie. And um, I assume from the original King Kong, like, everyone knows, like, there's the giant ape thing, and he's holding the little white woman in his fist. Everyone's seen that. So I feel like in the original King Kong, King Kong is a villain, and he's a monster, and he's scary. In Kong 2017, Kong is like, these people come to this island, and are really mean to all the creatures there and it's like the people are the villain not the creatures that are just living their lives and then with rocky which i have never seen any of at all the main character of the new series is michael b jordan so i wonder if like mm. who is black so i wonder if these are like subverting the tropes or i wonder if we should just let these movies die and not talk about them anymore that's, that's a good question to think about 
That is a I good didn't, question. I didn't know Rocky was being rebooted with Michael B. Jordan, but it's yeah. called Creed now. Yeah. Oh, oh that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Oh, that he actually didn't mention that in this book. Actually, yeah. you know, how he did. Yeah, the whole series mm-hmm. about his son, like I the villain's son. Um, that's an interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one more note that was made in this uh, section was, um, so I think when they were talking about like Woodrow Wilson and how he's like supposedly supposed to be very like you know good for black people and not racist, but then of course he like has a, the first reading of the um, Birth of a Nation. And then I thought this paragraph was really interesting because it's very much applicable today. Um, As if politicians hadn't taken advantage of them being black people, milking them for votes to gain power only to slap black people back down as if the media hadn't continued to push racist narratives that would put black people's lives at risk off page and off screen. And I thought that was really, really interesting because we're still seeing that today where some politicians will take advantage of the fact that, you know, they're supposedly having black people's interests at heart but none of their policies reflect that. Yeah. And Birth of a Nation, he, that was his favorite movie, Woodrow Wilson. Like, he played it all the time. Which is hilarious. I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary 13, um, but they Mm -hmm. show clips of Birth of a Nation because I've never seen it. And, you know. Oh, I've I've seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. We watched it in my Lincoln class. (laughs) Actually, yeah, I think we saw clips. We might have seen clips actually in my movie class that I took in college. Um, but like, I actually, I feel like I felt so uncomfortable because it's black, blatant blackface. Like you could mm-hmm. tell person wearing paint on their face and it's just, oh, it's so, it, it makes me cringe. Speaking of movies being remade and subverting tropes, I didn't end up seeing this, but I wanted to. The Birth of a Nation is a movie that came, have y'all heard of this? No. It I came out. a terrible yeah. idea. No, it's about, it's like the same story, but like from the perspective well, okay, um, never mind. It's not the same story. But it's from the perspective of the slaves, and it's like, you know, an actual accurate mm. depiction. So it's taking that terrible movie and being like, actually, this is how it really was. As far as I know. I never saw it, but I wanted to. I do think it would be interesting to remake that movie, but from the perspective of the black, the black man. Yeah. I think, I think that's that what be- they did. I think that's what they okay. did. Okay. I do think that would be interesting, yeah. Um, I have to do my obligatory education part on here because they talked about, you know, the creation of the IQ test and standardized tests, which were blatantly made for racist intentions, um, and how still today we use SATs and ACTs, which are, you can, you can, no matter what anyone says, yeah, they're aptitude tests, but you can still study for them. And guess who have the ability to study for them? People who have money. Guess who who have more people have money tends to be the white people and the Asians. And I'll, because obviously I'm Asian American, so I'm going to throw that out there. We have the ability to pay for it. And it is also culturally like what the people who came over, the Asians that came over here were ones who were trying to study more, who already were smarter in that way, like more focused on education. So of course their kids are going to be more focused on education. And that is why we take up more of the spots. Um, But anyways, and this of course affects all our black and brown people because they just don't have the resources, which makes it worse. Yes. I, and this, I think this book has really wanted me to start go back. And one of my favorite classes in college was a history of education class um, where we had to learn about like Horace Mann and everything up through that to where we are today with uh, No Child Left Behind and Essa and all of that stuff. Um, and I do think this book has inspired me to go back and read some more about all of that and how it's changed and how education is just one big pendulum that keeps going back and forth and back and forth throughout history. Well, speaking of education, I texted Sarah about this because I was like, oh my God, 
there's a part where they talk about this is no, we're still in um post reconstruction. Yeah, we're still in reconstruction. But um before we can jump ahead. Well yeah, yeah, we're yeah, we're like kinda moving towards the civil rights movement now, but yeah. Yeah. Well the um Brown versus Board of Education. Yeah. Um Jason Reynolds points out that it's a pretty racist idea. Because it suggests that black kids need a fair shot, and a fair shot is in white schools. Mm-hmm. Why weren't there any white kids integrated into black schools? Mm-hmm. And I had never in my life once thought about it like that. I think that was something we learned in our school was how, at that point, yeah, all of the black students now were at white schools, but all the black teachers lost their jobs because all the teachers were already there and they were white. So that's yeah. part of the problem was all of the, the teaching, the staffing is so is so like disproportionately white women that it just was not reflecting the like student body. Um, I guess then we can start moving into the civil rights movement. I said, Oh shit, go off about something on page 161, but I forgot (laughs) to highlight. So I don't know what I was talking about. Okay. So let's talk, start moving into the civil rights movement and then to the present day, which is our last section. Um, So 1963 to today. This, I think, to me, was the section that was the most powerful because it was things that I had actually never learned before and was like, why had I never learned any of this before? And to me, it was like, obviously, I'm not a history teacher. I am a math teacher. But it was one of those things where it reminded me, like, our curriculum is terrible because we spend so much time on, like, ancient history, which is important. Mm -hmm. But does it really matter that we know about as, know as much about Rome as we do about the present day laws and, and presidents and pol- politicians and what's going on because that is what's currently really affecting what's going on in the world so yeah well with U.S. history like we I remember we started to get into like Vietnam and JFK and all that but that's all at the end of the year right and at the end of the year I don't give a shit anymore exactly. <laughs> I'm not paying attention in class I'm ready to take my AP test and go home forever. So, yeah, like, there's, it's, yeah, you just, you don't learn about this stuff as much. And if you do, you don't pay attention to it. Yeah, and another thing I liked was, like, how late it went. Like, it didn't go all the way up to present day. But Mm -hmm. in my history classes, by the time we got to, like, the 90s and early 2000s, my teachers were kind of just, like, glaze everything like oh you guys remember this like you were alive yeah. like whatever like just because we were alive like we were kids or at least I was a kid in like the 90s and early 2000s I wasn't processing what was mm-hmm. going on I wasn't thinking critically about what was going on so it was really like this is jumping ahead a little bit we can we I won't talk too much about it but like uh hearing about like what happened in the 90s and like mm-hmm. the early 2000s and stuff was uh fascinating really eye-opening like the we I think nowadays, because we've now moved, okay, I guess I'm not that old, but from what I remember from when I learned history, like, we kind of stopped around the civil rights act, the civil rights movement, like, that was, like, the last major thing we kind of really learned. We talked a little bit about Vietnam, but, like, at that point, you know, it stopped, and, like, we really never talked about Watergate. We really never talked about, like, this re like, this re, um, the shifting of the political parties and how, like, Reagan created this new Republican Party and all that, which is so important to, like, what's going on right now, but we never learned any of that. And then, of course, like, the 90s and stuff, and I think part of the reason why we never learned about the 90s or why I never learned about it is because it was only, like, 20 years ago, so, like, it fully hadn't, like, I don't know, like, the impact hadn't really been known yet, and I think now we're starting to see it, and that's probably why there might be a little bit more about that in schools now, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we, we definitely talked about Watergate. 
but I don't remember. That was the 80s. I, well, yeah. Trudy said she didn't talk about Watergate, so I'm saying we did. <laughs> um, Angela Davis is my hero. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. I... This is going to make me sound bad, but you know what? It's the truth. I did not know who Angela Davis was until, like, May. Had y'all ever heard of her before until nope. this year? I had never heard of her before. I watched 13, the documentary. And when I was like, wait yeah. a minute, there's this super important figure, and I don't even know who the hell she is. I was like, that's not good. Um, but then, so now I've been learning more about her. And then, of course, in this book, he talks a lot about her story. Do you guys have any good quotes you want to share? Oh, there was a lot of talk about Law and Order, which given literally what happened this week, I think is really interesting. And I think that's one of the things I was really feeling towards this end of the book were a lot of these things. I feel like so many people could benefit from just even the last section, just reading the last section and seeing these patterns and how law and order is really just this racist way of getting, keeping white people in power. But the problem is, is those people who actually need to read it won't. So yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you that this last section of the book was most eye-opening mm-hmm. for, yeah. you know, for a number of reasons. Because, um, it, yeah, it really does explain a lot. And then, of course, he's talking about how, like, you know, these Black people are getting charged for minor crimes, and they may have to go for, like, several years, even to life. But then when even if they get out and they come home, they're no longer about to vote. So now they've mm-hmm. lost their vote. And so they can't impact anything. Um, and now there's just this disproportionate number of black people who just can't vote because they were put in, they were because of mass incarceration. Um, and I've heard of like the crack versus um, like the cocaine, like the, how there was such different standards for that. But I think it was really laid out really well here about like, this is just blatantly racist. And I was like, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Also, I want to say, like, this book, plus what I've seen in the world that, like, criticizes Ronald Reagan is kind of crazy to me because, like, I mean, I don't know. I never knew anything about him except for what other people told me. And everyone was like, he was great. He was the best. He was the best Republican that's ever existed. And I would be like, for sure, I don't know anything, so I must believe what you tell me because I have no other choice. And it turns out he sucked. That's been kind of long. It's, uh, I mean, I grew, like, I don't know. I didn't grow up around people who were, who, like, voted for Reagan or whatever. But, like, yeah, you always hear, like, Republicans, like, praising Reagan. It's like, ah, he was, uh, he was a true president. He, like, he was great. But then he did so many horrible things. Yeah. And then I found um, the stuff about Clinton, which I've recently been learning more about. I thought that was also really interesting because it talks about even this party that's supposed to be really for the black people was also like buying into this race of narrative so that he could get elected. And that reminded me a lot of Lincoln. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Like all of those parallels. Well, they also make points that several times, like during the during the slavery times, but also like during the civil rights movement that like, People in the North were racist, too. They just didn't have slavery. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I loved about reading this book was the way Jason Reynolds put things. Like, there were a lot of things I highlighted that were, like, great analogies or great Mm -hmm. metaphors. Like, he really broke it down so 
because some, you know, it's when you're reading a history book, it's easy to get caught up in like dates and like things being all over the place. But like Shruti was saying before, he would like, he, when there was, when he saw a pattern, he'd be like, yes, this is a pattern and like point it out for you. So you don't, you don't get, because it's easy to get things confused when he points out it's a pattern. It's, uh, it's easier to understand. And then when he puts things into like really broken down terms, it was really nice to, like, I, I never felt like lost or confused while reading it. So, uh, yeah, that's, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Me too. I related too. And again, like this, this quote, I'm just going to point out because it's literally applying to what's happening like yesterday. Um, in the year 1995, that was when the term super predator was created um, by a Princeton University scholar. Um, and they were talking about how murder rates were up am- amongst, he was specifically talking about 14 to 17 year olds, but just murder rates were up. But then, of course, so was in unemployment, and they conveniently left that part out in the study. And I thought that was very interesting because, you know, currently we have all these people arguing, why are all of these cities, they have these cities with all these black people have such big, so much crime. And it's like, well, you're not thinking critically about the fact that they also have the most poverty because these are the cities that have been so, like, torn up by, like, all the racist policies, like the mass incarceration, um, redlining, and all of these things with their poor school systems. Um, and they're suffering from like racist systems created by governments that necessarily that were not in, that were not there to help them, and so now they're just trying to latch on to anybody who will do anything that seems to be in their favor. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like that um, that graph they always use as examples of um, nonlinear correlation, where it's like how ice cream sales and mm-hmm. murders are high or are directly correlated, quote unquote, but actually it's just because ice cream sales are up in the summer and murder is up in the summer because people do crazy shit when they're hot. And correlation ice cream not, doesn't make people... Yeah. I just Wait, what did I that. Correlation, correlation is, is not causation. causation. Your statistics <laughs> yes. teachers are proud of you. Yes. Yes. Oh, also, yeah. Yes, I was going to say, as a, as a, as a psych minor, I, I got to throw that mm-hmm. out there. <laughs> yes. As a AP stat teacher, like that's one of the first things I teach them. And you would be surprised how many of them would, given that example, would be like, oh, ice cream causes crime. And yeah. I look at them and I'm like, are you an idiot? And they're like, no. So <laughs> um, I will say my last note that I have written here um, is no child left behind is the actual worst. So yeah. that's my last comment yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy how the end of the book is um, highlights the importance of Black women. Because, like, the last few lines are about how black women created Black Lives Matter movement, and um, it's, the last two lines are, perhaps they, the anti-racist daughters of Angela Davis, should be held up as symbols of hope for taking potential and turning it into power. More important, perhaps we should all do the same. And it was just nice. I really enjoyed that. I really liked how towards the end, he was really calling out the fact that, yeah, there's all these wonderful anti-racist movements, but they also were very much dominated by men. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably why he focused so much on Angela Davis, because obviously mm-hmm. she was very important and is not as well known. Um, so I thought that was good, too. Yeah, I agree. And one of the most, I mean, I mentioned this before, but one of the most powerful parts of the book for me was the note in the acknowledgments to young people, because he just mm-hmm. outlined 
all this horrible stuff that has happened over the course of American history. But he ended it with that kind of like, no, that's like, you can change this, you know, if you take action and use your voice and, you know, actually stand up for what's right, then, you know, things could change. Um, and he, he just ended it on like a direct call to action, which I think young people mm-hmm. especially will find empowering. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that case, I think guess this brings us to the end of our episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed. Um, I know I thought this, so this is something different for us because we haven't done a nonfiction book, but I think it was also very relevant to what's going on in the climate right now. Um, I know we all try not to be super political, but sometimes you have to be. I think that's yeah. kind of where we're at. So I'm glad you, I hope you guys enjoyed our episode. Um, for next month, which is August, I get to pick the group read. Um, I'm still narrowing it down, but I'll go ahead and give you guys a sneak peek of the three books I'm currently debating between. Um, and then next week we will announce what I pick, my final decision for our August group read. If you have an opinion on which one of these books I should pick, feel free to at the book, uh, at us on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever. Um, and you may or may not influence my decision. But right now I am wavering between A Five Minute Life by Emma Scott, which is basically 51st States, um, but adapted. Touch by Natalia Jaster, which is a little bit more fantasy, paranormal kind of thing. Um, basically it's about a mythical goddess named Love, who is kind of Cupid. So that's one's really fun. Um, and then my third choice is The Hardest Fall by Ella Mays, um, which is a college new adult romance where they are roommates, and yes, the hero t- happens to be a football player. But I promise there isn't that much sports. Um, but we'll see. So I'm still trying to decide between the three which three to do. I think A Five-Minute Life will have a lot of like controversial things that we could talk about. I think Touch is the one that everyone will enjoy the most, particularly Sarah and Grace. Um, but I kind of want to pick the hardest fall just because I want to make them suffer, but only a little bit. I don't Great. think I realized they were roommates. Yeah, the roommates. Makes me a little more intrigued to that one. I don't like that trope, so it's another strike against it for me. (laughs) Wait, are you for real? Yeah. What's wrong with you? It's just, no, it's roommates. No, no, no. No, roommates should be platonic. I don't like that. Like, if you're going to, no, it just makes me so uncomfortable. I hate it. (laughs) So tune in next time where Sarah and Grace debate roommates, apparently. You can also follow us on Twitter and let us know your thoughts about Trudy's choices. Um, our Twitter is at the Bookhouse. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Pod and send me hate in the comments for not liking the roommate trope. Um, and when you, you can also send us thoughts on Stamped, how you guys thought about the book and how much you enjoyed or didn't enjoy. Um, and of course, so you should also leave us a review on Apple um, Podcast for that um, and subscribe to us on all different mediums, Spotify, whatever, and then share the podcast with all of your friends. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a great rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. How can you like watch New Girl and be like, this is good, I think? And well, then because not- it's fun. It's funny. And like, honestly, it took me a while to warm up to Nick and Jess for that reason.
Like, it just makes me so, don't roll your eyes. She is a woman in Los Angeles <laughs> in a city. She rooms with a bunch of dudes. Like, uh-huh. I, I just, no, I don't know. I just don't like it. For them, though, it was all right. But in general, I try to avoid that just because, like, I don't know. What if they fall in love before they become roommates and then they become roommates, but they haven't admitted that they... I'm, I, I don't know if I'm fit. I'm not saying perhaps. I hate it all the time. It's just in theory, I don't like the trope. Like, maybe, like, in action, I would like it more, but, like, the, the idea of it, I don't like. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry to break your heart. That's just, that's how I feel. Kimberly, you did this to me on Alley Day of all days. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, just so you know, I'm keeping this in the episode. Okay, okay. <laughs> everyone can hate, everyone can drag me. I know that's like the most popular trope. I can't do it. 